five years. Her residency this month is sponsored by the Fiber Arts Collective, which has partnered with Benel for several years to present the Wearable Art Show. And it's something amazing that the Fiber Arts Collective has chosen to do with proceeds from the Wearable Art Show is to support residencies that enhance the skills and imaginative um, toolbox of local artists in the wearable, in the field of wearable arts. So for five weekends, starting tomorrow, um, Karen is conducting workshops from 12 to 4. And they kind of take you through, on both Saturday and Sunday, and they kind of take you through fundamentals related to sewing technique all the way through conception and realization of flexible sculpture wearable art. It's really a remarkable and um, innovative look at fiber arts. And um, I'm sure Karen will have more to say about that. But if you're interested in tickets for Alexa, or if you're interested in signing up for the fiber arts workshops, there's a limit of 12 per workshop. And we're very happy to, to help you enroll tonight. Karen, you're so amazing. <laughs> we're so happy to have you here. Karen studied at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago before she came to Alaska, and she taught for many years through the fiber arts program at UAA. I remember having a conversation with you maybe 15 years ago about what to do with a bunch of looms. Yes. <laughs> because you had been teaching weaving, and suddenly that was kind of ending. Yeah, that ended so. last two years ago. Yeah. So you've always been up to like pretty amazing things, and whatever you want to tell us about your show and your workshops, we're excited. I can talk for a long time, um, <laughs> and I don't want to do that. So I, I guess I would, it, usually you field questions afterwards, but is there anything in particular you have questions about that you want to throw out there? Yes. I have a question. So the piece over there, the sort of the red Yeah, one? that Shakespeare poem mm -hmm. piece. So when you're making a piece, do you envision it before it's made, or...? Is it unfolding and it's happening or maybe both? Yeah, that's a good question. I think with all of the pieces in here, I have an, I have an idea that is not like 100% coalesced, but usually there's some conceptual nugget that I'm fastening the ideas to. And then as I'm working, it's always a challenge to work with materials because materials already tell you stuff. And they also have their own properties and they want to do what they want to do. And so the challenge for me is always to let that happen, but to bring the materials into the conversation that I want to have. And so it's kind of a, a, a combination. And you know, it's like with any creative act, you tend to know when you've hit the mark, when it's actually doing what it needs to do and what it's saying. So I'm, I, I come from a, probably a lower middle class background. I've, I'm not fancy. Um, I tend to work kind of rough and ready. And at the same time, I'm also really, really particular about the appearance. So it's not just letting things be messy. I, I think I have a messy aesthetic. I don't mind rips and tears and extra thread hanging down and knots and that kind of stuff. But it's also got to be a particular way of shaping those materials. Um, I think, I think I, I want to talk a little bit about this piece and then maybe those, I, I, I read these things as textiles, like this would be yardage, this would be raw material to make a thing. Um, I, I use, I guess, <laughs> I use pretty 
traditional processes. So like that piece on that wall is called letters, and it's just a plain weave. It's just strips of paper that used to belong to um, letters from a, a boyfriend that I didn't like anymore. So I don't know. <laughs> and I'm a hoarder. It's like the materials tend to pile up because every material is really interesting. And I just thought that was kind of a nice resolution of, of taking memory and something that was had a lot of sort of icky residue, emotional residue, and then converting it into something that, I mean, I'm the kind of person that maybe in another couple of years I'd cut that up as yardage to make a thing. It's all like kind of mulched and reprocessed. Um, that piece on that far wall is called Repair, and I made it uh, in grad school, so it's from nine to two. And I was thinking a lot about the relationship between textiles and text and language and process and the physicality of textiles versus sort of the intellectual processing of language. So the, the, the material itself is translucent and it's a, it's a crazy dumb process. It's Xerox and then layers and layers and layers of gel medium and then you scrub the paper off the back of the gel medium. And it's brittle. It's not a. It's not a an archival substance. And so I've shown. I've shown it repeatedly. And every time I show it, I have to unroll it. And invariably, there's some kind of damage. There's cracks in the in the gel medium, or there's holes that develop. And so I mend them. So every every exhibit, those white patches get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm gonna just keep doing it until it's all just cloth. <laughs> but I love the I love the sort of the the holes dictate where the patches go. Like I don't have to think too much. Just like where it just fix the, fix the hole. So mending is a really hmm? what do you glue the patches on? The same stuff. It's just gel medium. So it's just cotton. I think I used linen this time because that's what I had. But it's cotton, gel medium, and uh, text. And the text is actually. It's called Greeking. It's not even a language. It's just the blank text that you use when you're doing layout to take the place of what you want to say. So then you backfill with the real stuff later, but it just like looks like language. So, um, so mending is a really big part of my ethos. I like to see things stay out of the landfill. And also just in the process of repairing and mending things, you get really comfortable with the idea of aging. So. Textiles are one of those materials that erodes over time in a way that, say, bronze doesn't or wood doesn't. Um, and the act of sewing and the act of bringing you know, rips together is really satisfying to me. But I also like the aesthetic of the rip, like the tear. So this piece was, I had a, a museum show in Anchorage in 2000, I don't even remember when, 16, 2016, um, called Groundwork. And I had just been through a kind of a rough patch where I realized I was getting older and that my own physical body is starting to wear out, like my knees hurt, my skin getting wrinkly. And I felt a little undervalued. Um, and I had also been hoarding all of this cloth that had holes in it. And it, I think there was a parallel between converting all of those cast off unwanted rags with holes in it into something that had some presence and sort of reclaiming my own worth and value. This piece is um, made of discarded manila envelopes from my day job. I'm a state government worker. And I open the mail and I like manila envelopes. So I basically collected those, turned them into this um, multi-layered surface. And it's just, you know, you, you wrinkle the paper, you scrub some pigment into it, put some gel medium on it. 
And then I was, I don't know, have you guys seen the movie Down by Law by um, yeah. Tom yeah. Waits and John Lurie? There's, the, there's the scene where they're in the prison and, and uh, the Tom Waits character is making these lines marking time. And first it's just one mark, but then there's, he kind of loses his shit and starts scrubbing into the wall. And there was something about the scrubbing and that, like, the insistence of, like, pushing that line into the wall that cracked me up. And so I'm not even sure what this represents, but I took a wire brush and basically scrubbed these lines. And I think it's a way of marking time and labor and material. Um, yeah. So that's the big one. <laughs> what about this shadow? I mean, is this Isn't it great? Yeah, you have to... So in the in the museum, I had the piece hung away from the wall quite a bit, so you could walk behind it. And there were other things that I didn't, you know, it's like you come to a show and you install it, and I, I didn't use the hanging devices, which are these great found ropes and things from the highway. And then I also had these little clusters of these little, they almost look like bear claws made out of uh, ceramic, that kind of echoed the, the scratching and scraping. So, but yeah, the shadows, and then the back side is black too, so it's a completely different surface on the, on the back. How do you roll it, or how do you? How do you it's a pain in the ass. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. These are pleats, and so I can basically fold it into itself and then roll it in four sections. But I have to take that bar, the hanging bar, off every time. So, not the funnest. Big work is. <laughs> so, I'm interested in these, like, this series of four um, dresses that you yeah. have here. And the way they're hung to me, uh -huh. they're almost like seasonal. Yeah. Know? And so I wondered, did you create them with a, you know, like a, a you know, a holiday thing? You know, like, there's the New Year, there's the Christmas, there's the Thanksgiving, there's the Halloween. Um, that is well, so there, uh, the, all of these pieces are from, I'm going to say, around 2004 through 2012, maybe. So each one was made at a different time. Um, all of them were made for wearable arts in Anchorage. Um, and the ones that happened together, so this, uh, the Rough Beast piece and the Full Fathom Five and the Ozymandias Right there were done all at the same time in response to poems that I really love. And I don't, I couldn't get it wrong, but it's Keats? Yeats. Yeats. Ozymandias is Yeats. And then this is Shakespeare. And so this idea of taking a, a poem that stuck with me from college and trying to uh, bring it to life was important. Um, and I probably am going to end up putting the text of those poems just because it makes a little more sense. Um, so those those happen together. Um, the Rickrack Cuspuck tunic uh, is probably the earliest one, and that was basically taking a bunch of garbage that I had in Rickrack and making a little tunic. Um, there's another piece that has since been destroyed. <laughs> Some of these things don't last, right? Um, and then the worry coat wasn't even a wearable art thing. It was actually um, when my kids were really young. Uh, I was freshly divorced and really just full of anxiety about like how am I going to do this on my own. And the little uh, amulet pouches, I think, were a way of. They're just full of. They're full of my kids' hair. I mean, it's kind of gross, but um, making these little talismanic kind of things as a way of like protecting myself and also being able to articulate worry and and 
the nervousness about um, what I was feeling. But I did end up wearing it in a wearable art show because it's a garment. So it's pretty fun. So that one, okay, so that's those guys. And then uh, this piece uh, in the corner, the um, work dress, I just think it's hilarious. I think I've taken a workshop on how to build um, historical costumes from the late 1700s. So it's the gown anglaise and the gown francaise. And they're, uh, the construction is ridiculous. This is before TV. So you know people have time to build these incredibly ornate garments. Um, there's a, uh, it's not a, a corset. There's a name for the garment type, but it's the, it's the undergarment. And then there would be panniers that would go under the skirt. The skirt is separate from the rest of the thing. And then the bodice, the, the little <coughs> coat-like thing, that's actually how they would attach the arms. They had these little ties to fix the arms on. Um, but the material is the same um, manila envelopes from work. So I just thought it was cheeky. <laughs> but it's a, it's a literal, it's a, it's a historically accurate garment. Of the, the what, shape. what time period? Hmm? What, what? Late, late 1700s. Yes. Not for television, but I did do theater costuming. I did a bunch of stuff with the Children's Theater in Anchorage. Too much. I did uh, a summer's worth of productions where 30 costumes got made in two weeks. Mm. Like five. <laughs> yeah, so. And I've, you know, I've made stuff since I was little. I would put on my own production and stuff. But I haven't, I haven't done anything commercially. Um, and then that last piece in the corner, the heavy dress, is based on a Roman um, garment for married women called the stola. And I made that when uh, I think I was really thinking a lot about the maternity and the sort of it's always hard to talk about being a mom uh, with respect, but it's a lot of work, and you're not free. You know, you don't just decide to go to the Caribbean for the weekend or you know off to jobs with your friends. It's like, oh, I gotta make sure the kids have lunch, money, and stuff. So the the weights at the bottom of the dress are actually rocks from the Homer Beach, and they're felted and then tied and up into the, the garment. Um, and it's when it's something that when you wear, you have to move slowly, and it, there is this weight and this drag. And it actually is still accurate now. I've sent both kids off to college, but I'm still thinking about them. You know, it's like making sure that they got the, their tuition paid and they, you know, per parking permit. It was lovely on the runway. I got it's to got see it walk nice on the runway. It was <laughs> it's great to see on the body and yeah. actually moving through space. And it does have like it does. It's excellent. Can't move fast. Well, did you think of the gauze as kind of like bandage? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and then I need to talk about this <laughs> this clothes rack right here. Um, when the kids were tiny, I did a performance piece called Housework, and it was an episodic performance piece that started very simply with one person uh, in a in a wedding dress gown big bell skirt, and then that that lovely vision sort of pulled into the skirt and then crawled out on the other side in this kind of grungy pile of like mismatched gloves and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the second episode was a laundry folding, 
um, you know how you do the longer dance? First you do the little things, and then you stack them, and then you do the towels, and then you have to get somebody to help you do the blanket. Um, and then at the same time, thinking about dirty laundry, and that stuff ended up on the floor. And over the course of the performance, the little sort of house just got messier and messier. Um, there was a, an episode of dishwashing where first it starts with just the dishes, and I had a little conveyor belt, and the dishes you know, would disappear. The little assistants would take them and put them back on the shelf, and then they'd bring more. And then it wasn't just dishes. It was things like teddy bears and toasters and books. And then the assistants left until this mound of you know, stuff that had to get washed. And eventually, this all ended up on the floor. Um, kind of a celebration of chaos. But those garments are, are what the, the performers wore. Um, the jean skirts with the mock string are based on a prehistoric uh, Neolithic garment that women wore called a string skirt. And it was a, a, a way of signifying fertility. It's like, look at the string, where's my babies? <laughs> so those little skirts were fun to wear, and they've got like all kinds of trash and domestic stuff on them. And then the shirts themselves are silkscreened with uh, titles of sort of menial labor jobs, so like prep cook or stalker, you know, and I'm selling them if anybody wants one. If <laughs> ever feels like, yeah, that's about right. I'm just a kid. That's all I so. um, That's all I have to say. If anybody has questions, I'm up for it. Well, you must use a bat of uh, gel medium. You must order it by I do. <laughs> yeah. Dick Blick is my friend. in tubes, which is expensive, I learned how to make it, and it's actually really fun to make. And, and gouache is like it's pigment it's, with a, what kind of binder? It's it's like watercolor, so it's um, gum but arabic, it's but then there's a little opacitor, so I use a little bit of um, whiting uh, or titanium dioxide. So there's the, the uh, binder, and then I use a little bit of, it's a honey water mixture for stickiness. Great. So it's pigment. You grind the pigment on a glass molar thing, and then you stir in the gum arabic and a little bit of the honey water, and bang, you got paint. It's awesome. So I have another question. Yeah. Um, on your garments, do you make the textile first mm -hmm. and then fashion it, and then does your design come in, or do you think about the whole design first and then make the fabric to fit? The yeah. Probably the latter. So secondly, it's like, okay, I have this idea, um, what kinds of materials do I need? If I need to fabricate the, the yardage, then that's what I'll do. Um, some of it's architecture, though. It's really interesting. I, and in the workshops, I want to talk about that. That the body, the body is a, like a moving sculpture, and when we wear clothes, they're flexible sculptures. They're three-dimensional things that come from typically two-dimensional surfaces. How do you... How do you make those flat pieces go together so that it has a particular silhouette or shape or whatever? And I think that's, to me, like that's the art part of it. The figuring, the technical part and the um, craftsmanship and the armature. So like the, um, this full fat and five thing, um, it's just layers of gauze underneath, but then that skirt, uh, when it's on a person, it's actually just like a wireframe bell skirt that's just been wrapped with cloth, but it has a it has a, a sculptural presence to it. 
And like the bodice, um, it's paper, but it's been cut like pattern pieces and then stitched together. So the, the actual corset on its own has a sculptural um, presence, entity. Yeah, is that paper? Um, so with paper, what I'll do is I'll, like, that's handmade paper. Um, it's pretty thick, but I'll often back it with something. So like the, the uh, work dress, it's the paper, but then it's got cheesecloth on the back side. Sometimes I'll laminate, like, cloth into it so that it doesn't tear. And then you can reinforce things. So like if I know I'm going to be working with a strip with a closure, you can just reinforce just that piece so that the tension doesn't rip stuff out. Or you can use, use grommets, or you can stitch, you know, things into it that act like buttonholes. So, what, yeah. What's the um, chest plate made of in the art in Quasimandas? Um, that okay. So this is the funnest. Um, all of the little uh, body forms are uh, plaster Paris and burlap over plastic, just those plastic dress forms. So Ozymandias was actually molded on my kid's torso uh, with plaster gauze, and it's super fun to work with. And I'm hoping that we get to do a little bit of that. There's a really great material called um, diamond mesh that uh, I'll use sometimes for the armatures, like that helmet. Um, it's, since it's a diamond, it stretches in any direction, and you can compress it. And once you make that form, then you could just use, you know, cotton or gauze and plaster of Paris to, to make those things with it. So like any kind of like, uh, we've done shields, we've done large, you know, large pieces, ball pieces, but it's a great material, it's super exciting. What's it called again? It's called diamond mesh, and it's also from Dick Flick. I'm not, I'm not working for Dick Flick. <laughs> but it's really cool, it comes in really fine mesh, and then there's a, a eighth inch and then a quarter inch, and it's just, it's just a great. So it's flexible and then it's super flexible. It's aluminum and it's just lovely to work with. Oh, and then, but what holds its shape? It holds its shape. Oh. It's rigid, yeah, it's, it's super cool. You can, you can layer it, but even just a single layer, you could just make it, you know, like if you have a form, you can just push it around until it looks like what you want. Diamond mesh. Yeah, it's great. I'm gonna bring some, uh, not this weekend, but then next weekend and we'll have it to play with. It's so fun. Mm. How you can you, also. How do you balance being um, something of a hoarder <laughs> between uh, going crazy? I mean, like you have to save little bits of things. I'm trying in large quantities. Yeah, I'm trying to like offload the hoarding. Like I, I, <laughs> I, the show at the museum, I had been collecting a lot, a lot of stuff in boxes and bins. And once I made the pieces, I felt like, okay, I don't need to keep all this stuff anymore. So I've actually, uh, in, in the last year, I really haven't made any work. I've been thinking a lot about, like, why do we make objects? Um, I think sewing has been a way for me to make things that are more functional and more practical. Because, like, just the, the, the burden of objects is really coming, it comes out of that hoarding. You know, you've got all these materials, and then you make the thing, and then where do you put the thing? So that's a good question. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Crates are great. Crates. Come in. Yeah. Oh. Come in. Like. So I will be here for the next five weekends, six, something like that. So. Yeah. And we're going to, uh, for the workshops, I think we'll just have, you know, work tables, stations, so it'll feel more like a you know, open studio. Yeah, like an open studio. 
Um, open social sessions are Friday evenings, and that's it's like it doesn't even have to be art. If you just have mending you want to work on, or you cut out a thing, you know, four years ago that you want to finish sewing, we'll have sewing machines here. I get all the you know technical stuff you might want to know. If you're already a great sewer, come and hang out and have a good time with people. Um, and then the Saturday and Sunday sessions will be more geared towards the wearable art thing in November. So if you've got an idea or you've already started something and you want to work on it, you have questions, if you want like feedback, that's the great thing I think about the textile community. It's a participatory, collaborative group. So. If you don't have a studio to work in and you want to use a machine to work on a piece, we will have those machines and tables here yeah. during the weekdays. Karen won't be here set for Fridays and weekends to provide input and instruction, but please know that you can use this space to, to develop pieces for wearable arts. How cool is that? I'd like to thank Karen, and before we all um, sort of break down, just a reminder that on the table is her workshop schedule, and um, if you're interested in tickets for Alaksha, this extraordinary piece of um, indigenous and temporary um, storytelling in theater that's coming up next weekend at the Mariner Theater. Please let me know. Thank you so much. Thank you all for your hospitality.